You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And so now we're going to transition to our time in the Word. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was reminded of something that happened to me recently. So because of COVID, it's been a long time when things were shut down, especially these earlier months since I've been into the dentist. And finally, with things opening up, I was able to get in for a long overdue dental cleaning. And so many of you have had this experience, but I, I went to the dental office and checked in and then got guided back into the room where my teeth were going to get cleaned and met my hygienist. And I, she didn't, appear um, to me like someone I knew. I mean, I didn't recognize her, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so we began to small talk. And you know, it's always an interesting dynamic when you're talking to your hygienist, because as you get going with the cleaning, you know, they, they open your mouth up and they start putting all this stuff in your mouth. And they, you know, they have that suction wand. And it's usually when you're, you know, they have that suction wand in your mouth, they ask you a question. And I've always wanted to ask my dental hygienist friends, why do you try to talk to people when you're working on their mouth? Because if you're the patient, you got a couple options. One, you just don't answer, which feels kind of rude. Or two, you try to answer and you can't because, you know, they have their hands in your mouth with these instruments or they have that suction tube. It's just the whole thing's awkward, quite honestly. But all that being said, in between the suction tube and her hands in my mouth and whatever, I was able to engage her in some conversation And I noticed she just seemed like a really kind person. I mean, another person came in the office and was a little short with her, and she was not just professional and appropriate with them, but she was actually kind to them. And I began to wonder to myself, I wonder if she's a Jesus follower. I wonder if she knows the Lord. And so in the course of questions being asked and answered, she asked me, you know, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And that's always an interesting telltale to me when I answer that question with where people are at spiritually. I've, I get all sorts of responses when I tell people I'm a pastor. But she responded, you know, positively. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to ask her. So I said, do you know the Lord? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I love the Lord. And as we began to talk, I began to find out that she was Lebanese. And so I began to tell her about the short-term trips that we've been taking these last several years to Lebanon with our missions team and helping the Syrian refugees there in the Bekaa Valley. And she was just amazed. And we had a, a tremendous conversation about that. So it's easy to be kind to people who are kind to you. I mean, it wasn't hard for me to be kind to this hygienist. She was a very kind person. And in fairness, not everyone who's kind is a Jesus follower, right? I've encountered tons of people who don't know the Lord who are kind, thoughtful people because at the end of the day, all people are made in the image of God. We all reflect that image somehow. But when you come to know the Lord, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, begins to call that image forth of who you really are in him. And that begins to show itself more and more in your life. But all that being said, easy to be kind to people who are kind to us. But how about people who aren't? How challenging is it to be kind to someone who's annoying? Or let's take that a step further. How challenging is it to be kind to someone who's rude? Who's mean? Who doesn't deserve it? 
In fact, let's continue to take this bar higher and higher. How difficult is it, how challenging is it to be kind to someone who has it out for you? Someone who really is an enemy, an evil person. You know, quite honestly, in talking with a number of you, the battlegrounds for you aren't just with people, quote unquote, out there. They're the people in your own family. Or they're that ex-spouse. Or they're that relative who has wronged you or that family member who just, you cannot get along with them. So how do you love someone like that? Well, that's where Jesus is going to go now in the Sermon on the Mount. If what we've covered so far wasn't challenging enough as we progress through the Sermon on the Mount, now we're going to get into some true relational heavy lifting. And Jesus is going to be calling us to love our enemies. And I would encourage you to think of this sermon and this passage that we're about to dive into as a two-parter. Part one, just in the, how the passage works itself out in the lay of the passage, this first part that we're going to look at this morning is very, very practical. And when we circle back around to this in two weeks and finish it up, then it's going to become very motivational. This morning is really about how we love our enemies. In two weeks, we'll look at really why the Lord calls us to love our enemies. But as we dive into this passage, we see this really interesting dynamic. The, the first part of this passage, as you can see from, the, from what's on your screen, is really a quote out of the Old Testament. And this is Exodus chapter 21. And it's also found in Leviticus 25 and also found in the book of Deuteronomy. And again, as Jesus has been doing, what he is doing is reaching back to the Old Testament law and showing what it was always intended to mean. Because over time, it's got distorted. And it hasn't been lived out by the people and even by the religious leaders the way God intended it to be. And so he immediately goes back to a passage that this crowd would have known, that would have been a reference point for them. And he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I'm sure heads in that crown nodded. People are going, yeah. And you know, I hear that and there's a part of me that says, yeah, that's something I can really get behind. That, that's, that's a law that I can really embrace. Someone wrongs me, I'm going to wrong them in the same way. But that's not actually what Jesus is going to teach and help the people understand here. He's going to show them what that law always pointed to and what it meant. And so oftentimes, especially as I'm talking to folks who don't know the Lord and this passage comes up, it gets misconstrued and gets misunderstood. And so it can look like Jesus is saying two different things here in about what, what he's about to launch into, and that's not true at all. And so he starts out with helping him understand what this law of retaliation, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was always intended to be about. You see, in the context of what this was giving, given, rather, when this was given to the people, it was intended to be a measured response to when someone wronged you. It was intended to be an equal response, but a limited response because the intent of this law, this rule, was for it to be proportional. This wasn't about taking revenge. This was about seeking justice because in that day and age and even in ours, the tendency is when someone wrongs us, 
is to take revenge. It's to be vindictive. And oftentimes that's not proportional to the wrong that was inflicted. You know, you steal that from me, I'm going to take everything from you. You hurt my family member, I'm going to kill all of yours. And that's how it goes. This was intended to be a communal guide to make the nation of Israel distinct and different from all the other nations around them. And this rule was actually intended to be a communal rule. It was for the community so that there was accountability, so there was measured response to wrongdoing. It wasn't intended to be a license to get someone back for what they had done for you, done to you. Actually, this wasn't meant to be an interpersonal law. It was meant to be a communal one. And it was always lived out and administered in the community. And that made the community distinct from every other community of that time. And so what Jesus now is doing is he is correcting the misapplication of this among the people and even with the religious leaders because many of them were seeing this as their license to take revenge, their license to get even. And it was never intended to be that. In fact, what Jesus will go on to say, or rather what the law goes on to say in Leviticus 19 was this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And what Jesus will go on to do in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 10, is he'll define who our neighbor is. And that neighbor also includes the last person you and I would ever want to love or be kind or gracious to, our enemies. So when this passage talks about loving our neighbor, it's talking about loving everybody, including our enemies. So Jesus is doing a reset of what this passage was always intended to mean. So let's go there. Let's see what he has to say. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But look what he goes on to say now. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Unbelievable. Did you just catch what Jesus said there? Do we appreciate what he is calling to us to and how distinct that is from how most of the world around us actually lives? He says, don't resist an evil person. And if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And once again, this is another one of those passages that at face value, and if you don't really appreciate and understand what he's saying, you can completely misunderstand. Because people will will ask, so does this mean I'm not supposed to defend myself if I'm physically attacked? Does this mean I'm not supposed to defend my loved ones? Does this then say that I'm just supposed to be passive whenever I'm wronged? And the answer to all of those is no. That is not what this is talking about at all. So what is this talking about? Well, let's enter the story here. Let's enter what Jesus is actually saying. If you're in a fight with someone, are you really going to try to end that fight and defend yourself by slapping them on the cheek? And the answer is no. That's not how you fight. That's how you start a fight. And that's the point. 
This is talking about an insult. This is talking about being wronged. And so this isn't about how you fight. This is about someone trying to start a fight with you. And what he says here is to don't strike back. If someone insults you, don't take a shot back at them. In fact, now he's going to go on and give four examples of how we are to not fight back against an evil person. And by saying this, don't, re- don't resist them, turn the other cheek, he's actually talking about responding from a position of strength. This actually isn't passive. This doesn't mean to do nothing. It actually means you stand your ground. When I was in high school, in a sociology class of all things, I learned that Dr. Martin Luther King went to this passage and others, and this is where he extracted his principles for nonviolent resistance. This very passage that we're looking at. And so when the, the race riots and protests and everything began to happen earlier this year, I really wanted to put myself and still want to put myself in a posture of listening and learning and understanding. And so I, I read a book that had been recommended to me a long ago. It's by Dr. Martin Luther King, and it's called Why We Can't Wait. That's the title of the book. And I would encourage, if you've never read this, I would encourage all of you to consider reading this. Because in his own words, it describes what was going on in Birmingham, Alabama at the time when they began to do the nonviolent protests, when they began to do the sit-ins, when they began to describe their philosophy behind that that was grounded right here in God's word. And as Dr. King describes that, as he, as he writes this letter to the Birmingham churches, he talks about how turning the other cheek means you don't allow and accommodate evil. It actually means you stand up against it, but you don't do it by destroying things and vandalizing things and burning things and through riots. You do it through means like sit-ins, where you resist, but you resist non violently. And it actually takes a tremendous amount of strength to stand your ground and to actually do that. And by engaging in that and doing that nonviolent resistance, they brought incredible change in that season of our nation's history. And that principle came from this very passage that we're looking at here. So we have to get out of our heads and out of our minds what Jesus is describing here as being passive or being a doormat or letting people walk all over you. It's not that at all. It's actually something that we do very deliberately from a position of strength. So at the end of the day, he's telling us here to restrain ourselves from retaliation. You want to love your enemies? Restrain yourself from retaliating against them. Which then begs the question, as all of these statements from Jesus will, how do you respond when someone wrongs you? How do you respond when you're driving and someone cuts you off? How do you respond on social media when someone comes at you for something you've said? Isn't that interesting that we'll say stuff on social media that we would never say to someone in person but somehow we think we have a license to say whatever we want, however we want. Those are are hard questions, but let's take it even further. So in your relationships with your family, 
When one of them wrongs you, takes a shot at you, demeans you, attacks you, slanders you, criticizes you, how do you respond? Do you go right back at them? You see, this is a principle, a rule of living and loving that we can overlay any relationship in our life. And if we will respond this way by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and our choice to trust and obey the Lord, that his way is better, this is distinctive living, my friends. Do you realize Christianity, the Bible, God's word, we are the only religion, the only worldview, the only belief system that says and tries to practice loving our enemies. You will find that no place else. It is a distinctive of what it means to be salt and light in this broken world. And so Jesus is going there. And he goes on to give us another example of this. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, once again, let's talk about what this isn't saying. Is it saying you should never defend yourself? And it's not saying that, no. Is it saying you should never sue someone? Well, no. There are other scriptures that speak to that. Is it saying you should never get a lawyer and protect yourself if you're sued? No, it's not saying that either. What is the point here? Well, let's look at what he's really saying. Your shirt, another word for that was like a night shirt. It was the, the article of clothing that you wore closest to your body. And it was essential. But so was your coat. Or to use the vernacular of that day, your cloak. In fact, your cloak was considered so valuable, there were actually guidelines in the law that said that if someone gave that to someone else as kind of a down payment for something or as security for a pledge, that it had to be given back to the person who had originally given it away that by nightfall so that they could stay warm. Because for many of the people, their coat was the only thing they had to keep them warm at night other than their nightshirt. Most people owned a shirt and a cloak and that was it. And so what Jesus is saying here is astounding. They want to take your nightshirt, then you give them your cloak. So what is the heart of what he's really going for here? And the heart is this, is are you willing to give up your basic rights in order to love someone else, in order to love an enemy? Now think with me for a minute. How countercultural is that in our culture where you never give up your rights, where you demand your rights, where you are indignant about your rights, where you are outraged if your rights are being wronged? Yet, if we're willing to give up our basic rights, not for someone who deserves to be loved, but for someone who undeservedly should be loved, how distinct is it if you and I, as his Jesus followers, will live like this? I mean, really, what Jesus is saying here is, how far are you willing to go in loving an enemy? Not just the easy people to love, the difficult people to love. This is pretty hard stuff. Well, it actually gets harder. He's going to tell us how far to go. Look what he goes on to say. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, let's talk context here. This is more than just a, a feel-good saying. This, this was a reality because once again, in that culture where the people were being oppressed and occupied by the Roman government, 
any Roman official could come to you and press you into their service. And you had to comply. You did not have a choice. So if there was some type of construction project, a civic project, you could be pressed into duty for that. And by the way, you're not getting paid for it. You just have to do it. People could be forced to deliver correspondence. People could be forced to carry literally a Roman centurion's armor. And what Jesus is saying literally is if they ask you to carry that armor one mile, you willingly offer and carry it two miles. You go above and beyond what's being asked of you to love someone. So when we talk about going the extra mile, that's how far he wants us to go. He wants us to do whatever it takes in order to love someone the way God loves them and the way God loves us. Now let's think about this one for a minute. Do you go the extra mile in your most difficult, toughest relationships in order to love that person to the best of your ability? Do we appreciate what Jesus truly is asking here? I have a friend who I think does this amazingly well. He is divorced. And yes, there's always two sides to every story, but I do know him and I do know his ex-spouse. And she's very difficult with him. She makes it very hard for him to love her. She says things to him that are so profoundly hurtful and wrong. And she looks for every opportunity to mistreat him in her anger and in her pain. And this man, because he knows and loves the Lord, chooses to love her in the best way that he can. So when it's time to pick up the kids, he's never early. He's always right on time. When it's time to drop off the kids, when he's had his time with them, he always makes sure that he's on time or even if he can be, he's early so that in no way can he be accused of being taken advantage of her or her time. And she says incredibly hurtful things to him and about him. And he deliberately is careful in how he talks about her. He never disparages her. He never comes back at her when she attacks him. He is kind to her in every way that he can think of. He over-communicates with her in their parenting of the kids, and on it goes. He loves her well. And my friends, I, I know the situation pretty well, and she is incredibly difficult with him, and yet he chooses to love her anyway. Is that distinctive? You bet it is. You can see a difference in this man a mile away. And my friends, I could tell you an equal number of stories of ladies who I know are divorced who love their ex-husband very similarly. But the point is, are we willing to go the extra mile in order to love someone who is, who is difficult? So does this sound hard? Well, let's make it a little harder. Look what Jesus goes on to say. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now again, the context of this is someone who does not deserve our help, someone who is difficult, someone who is an enemy. You know, it's easy to give to people who deserve it or who are kind to you or who you want to help out, but what about the person who you don't really have any good reason to help out? 
man, this is a big ask. So it really is asking us, are we willing to practice outrageous generosity to everyone? Not just the easy ones, but the hard ones too. I mentioned this in my Facebook sermon preview this week, but my father-in-law and my dad were two of the most generous men I've, I've ever known. And my dad in particular taught me from an early age that if someone needs to borrow something, you, you let them do that. In fact, you go out of your way to, to help out neighbors, to help out family, to help out friends, to help out people who need something. And he always told me, when you loan something out, you've got to do that freely and completely, which means that you need to make friends with that it may never come back. Or it may come back to you broken or damaged or in worse shape than you put it out there for. But you still allow people to borrow, even with that in mind. That's a pretty high standard of generosity. But it is a challenge to think of loaning something to someone, being generous to someone who, who doesn't deserve it. And yet there are so many of you who get this. I mean, by way of example, with the wildfires, there are so many of you who opened your homes, not just to family and friends, which by itself was an act of grace and generosity, but to people who you didn't even know, which is remarkable to me. Yeah, that, and that's distinctive, and that's terrific. But Jesus is asking us to loan and give to people who don't deserve it at all. Now, we've covered a lot of ground in just a short amount of time. And I look at this list that we've looked at, what Jesus is talking about, and it feels a little overwhelming, to be quite honest. I mean, that's, that's a big ask. And what is it that Jesus is really asking here? And just so we're on the same page, is Jesus really asking and expecting his people to go around with swollen, beaten up faces because they're constantly turning the other cheek? Is Jesus really expecting his people to go around half naked because they've given all their clothes away? Is he really expecting people to never go home because they're always going the extra mile for people who ask them to do things? And is he really asking us to be destitute because we've given everything we own away? And the answer to all of that is no. That's not the point of what he's asking. Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration, just like we saw last week when he says, when it comes in our battle against sin, be willing to cut off your hand or be willing to gouge out your eye. Does he literally want us to do that? No. He says, take drastic measures to deal with sin. And what he's saying here is take drastic measures to love the unlovable, to love those who don't deserve it, to love your enemies. He's asking us to fulfill the law of love by loving everybody. So can we take this for a test drive some more? What is the alternative to this? Well, one of the alternatives is to live like the rest of our broken world lives. Go ahead, be angry, be vindictive, be vengeful. Be unforgiving. And how well does that actually work? As Pastor Matt helped us see a couple weeks ago, that's not only toxic to all those relationships, but it's also toxic to you. 
By way of example, when you don't forgive someone, you are actually giving them in that situation power over you. Is that really what you want? Is that really how you want to live? How well does that really work? It doesn't work real well. But what if you don't want to do this? And honestly, this is a big ask. What if you don't want to love people? Well, could one of the problems with that be how you define love? You see, for too many of us, love is married to an emotion. And love isn't always an emotion. You don't always feel like loving someone. Love is sometimes an emotion, but it is always a decision. And it always is a commitment whether you feel like it or not. Well, okay, I guess I'm going to try to do this. I'll, I'll try to use some willpower. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll really work harder at this. And okay, that will take you so far as well. But if that's all you're using as your motivation, it's not enough. That won't sustain what Jesus is calling us to do and be. So what will? Well, remember, as I need to remember, that living out the gospel is always a response to the gospel. Tim Keller likes to tell this story. It's a true story of a Russian czar and his adopted son. As the story goes, this Russian czar adopted the son of a friend who died at a young age. And so, this czar raised this adopted son as his very own and really was the father that this, this boy never had. And this boy grew into a man and he became a very highly capable, highly successful guy. He went into the army, went into the czar's army and rapidly advanced through the ranks until he got to this place of prominence and responsibility where he was over all the procurement for the army. He was in charge of all the logistics. And unfortunately, he went down a road that he soon discovered he couldn't go back and turn around on. And it was this road of embezzlement. He began to take just a little bit of money here for himself and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it got to the point where he had dug such a deep hole that there was no way out. And so he lived this secret life for years and years, hoping no one would ever find out. But they did. And when he realized he had been discovered, he decided that there really was no alternative but to take his own life. And so he went up to his office and he got a bunch of alcohol and he got a gun and he loaded it, a pistol, and he began to drink so that he could get up the nerve to take his life. But he drank so much that he passed out before he could with the pistol still in his hand, drunken on his desk, in a pile of his own vomit with the books and the evidence against him lying right beside him. But as the story also goes, this czar was famous, as I guess czars often are, for impersonating common folks in order to get close to his people, to hear what they were thinking, to see what they were doing, to hear what they were saying about him. And so he would often disguise himself as a corporal so that he could infiltrate his own army and hear what was being said and circulate among the officers and hear what they were saying. And so this happened to be one of those days where this czar 
decided to visit the administrative offices where his adopted son worked and he went his way and made his way around and went up and walked into the office of his adopted son and saw what he saw. And so he walked up and he quickly put together what had happened. He could see the books. He could see how his son had been cooking the books all these years. He had amassed a debt he could never repay. And he saw his son at his very worst, drunk, passed out in his own vomit with evidence of his wrongdoing right in front of him. And the czar took this all in and he took out a piece of paper and a pen and he wrote out, I will cover all your debts. You have nothing to fear. I will pay this for you. And he left it on the desk. This young man finally sobered up, literally, came to his senses, brushing himself off and he looks over and he's prepared to take his life and he sees this note from his dad saying, I will pay for everything. My friends, isn't that a picture of what God has done for us? What our Father has done for us, He has seen me at my very worst. There have been so many times I could have loved someone and I chose not to. So many times I could have gone the extra mile for someone who did not deserve it and because they did not deserve it, I chose not to. So many times I could have given to someone with no strings attached, someone who, again, didn't deserve it and I chose not to because I didn't want to or I didn't feel like it. God has seen all of my brokenness and in the face of that brokenness, he offers me an escape through his grace, through his willingness to pay for my brokenness so that I don't have to live like that anymore. My friends, that is the reality of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Seeing all of our brokenness, he goes to a cross and dies there in our place, rises again to new life, and by doing so, takes all our brokenness on himself and gives us in exchange his power for right living. My friends, as hard as all this is that we've talked about, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he is your God, if our Heavenly Father is your Heavenly Father, you can do this. And you must do this. Because the alternative is to live a life of brokenness and vindictiveness and unforgiveness and bitterness. And it's not the life you want. The life Jesus offers is so much better. So as our worship team comes, and as we prepare to respond to God's word, we're going to sing this song that talks about this broken world knowing that we belong to God by the way we love each other, by the way we love him, and yes, by the way we love our enemies, the people in our life who deserve it the least. So my friends, will you commit yourselves once again to trusting and obeying this God? Will you remember as your source of motivation what he has done for you, the brokenness he has rescued you from, and will you use that through the power of his spirit as your motivation to love everyone in your life, not just to pick and choose the easy ones, but to love the most difficult ones because of how he loves you. So let's sing about that together. We want to give our full worship to this amazing God who calls us out of darkness and calls us into light 
and gives us a new future, a new hope, and empowerment. Moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, to live life on his terms and to live life his way. So, as you prepare to go into the rest of your day, as you prepare to go into the rest of your week till we get to be together again, I want you to think about the most difficult relationship in your life right now. How will you go the extra mile to love that person this week? Because my friends, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand where it can shine and give light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Go now and love and live for him. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.